When our children were young, school age, before they leave for school, I would lay hands on them and bless them. Sometimes when they're running late for school and kind of skip the blessing, skip the prayer, but I can tell you that if they had an exam on that day, they're coming in there and said, okay, Dad, pray for me. My prayer for them, as it is always, my prayer with anybody I pray with, very consistent. Bless them and make them a blessing. Lord, bless them and make them a blessing. My prayer for myself, when I ask the Lord to bless me, it is only that I may be a blessing to others. For this is a very thoroughly biblical prayer. For God's blessings on us, not supposed to be an end in themselves. They are means to an end. The end of God's blessing us is that we may bless others, that we be a blessing to the work of God, that we may be a blessing to the kingdom of God, that we may be a blessing to our neighborhood, we'll be a blessing to our community, that we may be a blessing to our workplace, that we may be a blessing to our nation. In fact, you see this principle of being blessed to bless throughout the Scripture. The blessing that God gave to Abraham. And he said, I will bless you. And literally, in the next breath, God said what? I will make you a blessing. And you see it throughout the Scripture. God blessed Jacob. And Jacob became a blessing to his tricky uncle Laban. God blessed Joseph. And Joseph blessed first the house of Potiphar, then the house of Pharaoh, then all of Egypt, the superpower of the day, then the whole world was saved from starvation by blessing Joseph. God blessed the people of Israel because of Abraham. God blessed the whole world because of Jesus. You say, how? By blessing the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the believers take the gospel to the ends of the earth, they bring blessings wherever they go. And throughout history, you can see that nations and societies that identify with Jesus become blessed. The whole Western civilization, I spent seven years of my graduate study studying this. I can prove it to you. The whole reason why we have Western civilization today is because of the Reformation. When the Reformers in the 15th and 16th century brought Jesus back out of the Dark Ages, the whole Western civilization developed and became a great civilization. America as a nation has been blessed of God, has been prospered by God because of the founders' intention, because of the founders' invoking of the name of Jesus. No politician, no president, no Congress, no Supreme Court can bless America or can make America great again. Only Jesus can make America great again. You see, we have forgotten that it was God who blessed this nation like no other nation in history. And that's because they bow to Jesus. And that is why I'm calling this message the responsibility of a transformed identity. We have begun this series of messages of what it means to transform your identity from whatever it is that you see yourself tied to, whether it is your job or it's your family name or it's your company you work for, whatever it might be, your wealth, whatever it is, to being identified with Jesus 
period. And we have seen throughout this series of messages how a transformed identity is of vital importance for growing and for living victoriously in this life. And you notice the genius of the Holy Spirit, because don't you ever forget that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the writers to write the words of the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. That is why we call it Holy Bible. That's why we call it the infallible Word of God. And the genius of the Holy Spirit, as He inspires Peter to write those words, He does not get him to speak about the responsibility of a transformed life first. No, 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 no. He waits after He shows us the blessings of a transformed life. He waits until we see the evidence of a transformed life. He waits until we see recognize the privileges and the honor of a praised life. And then He says, now, as you appreciate the blessings of a transformed life, as you experience the blessing of a transformed life, now you can be a blessing to others. And so I want you to turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Every one of us, as we study the Word of God on our own or teach it or whatever we do, is to ask two questions. What does it mean to the original readers of this epistle? And the second thing is, how can I apply this and the principles in my life today? There are some people who read a verse and run with it for what it means for them today. You've got to understand it. What was meant? What was the intention of the original writer to the original readers? You ask yourself those two questions, and you'll be blessed by the two answers. Now, here is our responsibility, your responsibility as a person whose identity is being transformed by Christ into Christ-likeness. Now that we have received the sevenfold blessing, and that's why this sequence here is coming all the way through. Now that you've received the blessings of God, it is our responsibility to be a blessing to others. How? By being a blessing to the government, by being a blessing to our employer, by being a blessing to our workplace. Indeed, we can be a blessing to the world, and that is the desire of God's heart for His children to be. I'm sure someone is saying, how can I be a blessing to the government? In fact, most of us don't like the government. Many of us probably wish the government gets out of the way. That, of course, until we need the police or the firefighters and, and we make a call. And I was thinking about this schizophrenia, a love-hate relationship with the government, and I remember a cartoon that I saw a long, long time ago, but imprinted in my head. Back in the old days, remember when a mailman used to deliver mail on foot, and they always get bitten by the dogs in, the, in these houses? Well, this particular mailman decided to take his own dog with him on the round. <laughs> And his dog was following him, and the next frame, his dog talking to another dog across the fence in the house, and he said to him the following. He said, uh, it's really agonizing how I can possibly protect my master when I have an uncontrollable desire to bite him. <laughs> he said, how can I bless the government? By not being a guest of the government. <laughs> How can I not be a guest of the government? By obeying the laws of the land and paying taxes. <laughs> By not being a burden on the government. 
by working hard and paying my taxes, uh, by being a giver instead of a receiver. If every citizen would do that, the government would be blessed. As a matter of fact, if you read the history of great awakenings that have taken place in America, you read about some towns, literally, the police had to shut down, the courts had to shut down. It was no crime, no, no theft, no nothing because of the Spirit of God moving in these revivals. May it happen again in America. Amen. Here's the logic of 1 Peter 2.13 to 16. You see, in the last message, I told you that the believers are mere tourists. They are travelers. They're pilgrims. They're sojourners. That our real home is heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are just mere travelers along this journey of life. And the Holy Spirit anticipate that somebody might conclude, well, since we are travelers, sojourners, that we can here in this life we become anarchists that we do not have to obey the laws of the land, that we refuse to obey the laws of the land, and we never worry about breaking the law. And that is why Peter goes immediately after saying this, and he says, a Yusuf translation, okay? Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. That's just what it means. <laughs> Look at it this way. When a foreign diplomat representing his own country, his home country, in a host country— that diplomat, while he is loyal to his home country, he respects the laws of the host country. While he is living in this foreign country, he obeys the law of this host country. If you have a British ambassador in America or any other ambassador, he is loyal to the queen, he is loyal to the crown, but as long as he is in the United States, he respects the laws of the host country. I remember one time back in 1979, I was in Washington, D.C., talking to a foreign diplomat, and I became a friend, of, and we were talking, and I was carrying on. He said, no, no, Michael, don't forget, I'm a diplomat. I'm not an American. <laughs> I was talking about United States. You see, a diplomat abides by the laws of the host country to avoid any hint of scandal that would diminish the reputation of his home country. Otherwise, he's going to embarrass his country. He is most anxious not to shame or dishonor or disgrace or bring disrepute to his home country. <laughs> and so he does everything possible to represent his home country well. How? By respecting the laws of the host country. And that's exactly what Peter is saying for the believers in Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible calls us ambassadors. <laughs> we are foreign diplomats. Our home is heaven. Our king is Jesus. But we are living in this world as travelers, as sojourners, on our way home. For a believer whose identity is being transformed into Christ and by Christ, a believer whose citizenship is in heaven, real citizenship is in heaven, is an ambassador of Christ in this host country, whatever country you might be living in at the time. So what do we do? We're always thinking and doing that which brings honor to our home country. Uh, we are always thinking to bring glory to our King, the King of heaven, the Lord Jesus. We do whatever it brings praise to our heavenly home and to our heavenly King, doing whatever it brings honor and respect to our home country. Okay. 
He said, Michael, I understand that. I understand what Peter is saying. But how do you interpret this text in the context of living in the United States of America? I realize we have people from around the world watching right now, but let me only focus on us here in the United States just for a minute in the context of this country. Now, don't ever forget, again, the context is very important, that Peter was writing to believers who are living under pure dictatorship. The dictator, Caesar, dictates, and people must follow. Peter couldn't even dream of a privilege of living in a country like the United States, where at the heart of governing is we the people. One of the greatest blessings that God had bestowed upon the United States of America, like no other country on the face of the earth, is the Constitution of the United States of America. That's why so many of us believe that God really helped those people, especially when they prayed for God to guide them along the way. Furthermore, Peter is not saying that a believer in Jesus Christ, whose citizenship is in heaven, is to live passively, or to be a doormat, or to be a punching bag. He's not saying that at all. Indeed, it is obedience to the law that must help us defend the First Amendment of the Constitution against those who want to change it. It is out of obedience to the law of the land that, listen to me, this is important because I know a lot of people are confused about this. Those who want to undermine the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, they are the ones who are breaking the law and disobeying the law, not us who are defending it. Are you with me? Amen. See, we are indeed obedient to the law when we defend that law of the land. Those freedoms that our laws have been given to us are a blessing that we must never, 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 never take for granted. How? By what I call mindless passivity. But as good law-abiding citizens of this great country, we are to be involved in the political process. We are to work hard to change bad laws by legal and respectful means. Let me repeat this. That we can change bad laws that are inconsistent with the Constitution by legal and respectful manner, especially if these laws contradict the Constitution. We are to exercise our privilege of voting. It breaks my heart when I hear that three million, four million, and all these millions of evangelical believers stayed home on voting day. My beloved friends, that is wrong. In many ways, our modern American tragedy is that while we are privileged to place people in authority, we sin against God when we do not protect that privilege by voting. Someone may say, well, wait a minute, Michael, wait a minute. But mine is just one vote. What would one vote do? I mean, what difference does a, a vote will do? Well, let me show you from history what one vote can do, okay? You ready? In 1645, 1645, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of the British Isles. 
1676, one vote gave us the English language and not the German language here in the United States. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. Now, some of them might not like that now, and they say, why is that one vote? That, that's not the issue here, okay? I'm not I'm getting involved in this. <laughs> I'm just showing you that one vote can make a difference. In 1868, one vote saved Andrew Jackson from impeachment. In 1875, one vote changed France from monarchy to a republic. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency. <laughs> In 1941, listen carefully, one vote saved the selective service system from being demolished or abolished. And that, my beloved friend, was only 11 months prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor. So don't tell me one vote cannot make a difference. It's your responsibility. My responsibility is to take our citizenship seriously, and we vote. I don't tell you how to vote, but I can tell you, you pray, and God will guide you. See, your vote counts, and you owe it to God. You owe it to your country. You owe it to your family. You owe it to the future generation. You owe it to yourself to get involved in the political process and vote. But in the final analysis, Peter is saying God has to be obeyed first and foremost. Are you with me? If and when the law of the land conflicts with biblical authority and biblical conviction, then will have to make a decision, just like the early church did, when they refused to bow to Caesar. And like them, we must be willing to pay the price for our conviction. If the day comes and the government forbids me from preaching biblical truth, then I am willing and ready to disobey and pay the price for placing God above the government. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not a masochist. I pray to God that day will never happen, that day will never come. But if it does come, I'm willing to pay the penalty (laughs) and trust God for the outcome. In fact, that's where Peter is heading in the next message. Jesus trusted God for the outcome. It's the most injustice that had ever taken place, but Jesus trusted God for the outcome. That's to be in the next message. But if the day comes that the preaching of the fact that Jesus and only Jesus saves from hell, and that rejecting Jesus will take you straight to the place of torment, that if that preaching is considered to be hate speech, as it is proclaimed in certain parts of Europe, if that day comes and becomes the law of the land, then I am willing to break the law of the land. Like my Christian forebears, we must be willing to pay the price. Here's something I don't want you to forget. Rome did not persecute and kill and burn Christians for believing in Jesus. Did you know that? That really was not it. You see, Rome as a pluralistic, polytheistic, meaning believe in many gods, the more gods, the merrier. And so in the beginning, they said, yeah, let's hear about this. 
And only when these frisky Christians began to say, Jesus is the only way, and that's when they began to throw them to hungry lions. That's when they began to dip them in hot tar. That's when they began to light the garden of Nero with their burning bodies. And the believing Christians said, burn us if you must. Dip us in hot tar if you must. Throw us to hungry lions if you must. But we will worship only Jesus, not Jesus plus, not Jesus and. Amen. Amen. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. Give Him praise. My friend, Canon Andrew White, the, call him the vicar of Baghdad, he stood in this pulpit many years ago. He was telling the story about two little kids, Iraqi kids or Christians. And ISIS said, we're going to behead you. We're going to crucify you if you don't deny Jesus. And one of the kids said, do what you must. We love Jesus. Don't miss the levels of submission here. First, there is submission to God, who's above all. Submission to Him is above submission to the law of the land. Then submission to the law of the land is above submission to the employer. Because if an employer tells you to do something illegal, you can say no, because it's not legal. See, there are levels of submission, and we're going to see down the road in family relationships and so forth. Let me illustrate this by telling you, many of you, particularly ladies, have read the writings of Corey Ten Boom. I encourage men to read it too. Any books by Corey Ten Boom, read it. What a great saint of God she was. She and her sister helped many Jewish families to escape Hitler's Holocaust. And their pastor, a Dutch Reformed pastor, Bible-believing Dutch Reformed pastor, came to their dad, and he said to him, you must stop your daughters from doing what they're doing. This is going to bring us all into trouble. And here's what Papa said. He said, we will obey those who make the law, but not if they are against God's higher law. And I want to say amen belongs here. Peter said that those who speak against Christian believers are guilty of ignorant talk. Verse 15, (laughs) there's a whole lot of ignorant talk going on in these days. So what is the answer? Peter, thank God, gives us the answer. By our godly lives, we are to silence these foolish talkers and this foolish talk. First, we are to be a blessing to our country and society and nation, wherever we live. Secondly, we are to be a blessing at the workplace. I cannot honestly tell you how many times I heard people say statements like this. If I have a different job, I would be happy. If I have a different boss, I would be happy. If I have a different work environment, I'll be happy. If I work for a different company, I'll be happy. If I have a different career, I'll be happy. If I have a different circumstances than the circumstances I'm in, I would be happy. <laughs> the problem is you cannot go through life wishing only if, only if, only if. Beloved, listen to me. You are where you are for a reason. And Peter is saying in verses 18 to 20 that while your identity is being transformed, you can be a blessing wherever you may be. Your life 
wherever it may be. You are where you are because God wants you there. God placed you there. Even when you think you made a mistake, and trust me, if you read my books, you know that I made mistakes. But even in my mistakes, God overruled, and He brought His purposes out for His glory and my good. (laughs) Instead of wanting to bolt out and spend your life just steaming and fuming and fussing, ask the following, how can I be a blessing to my company? How can I be a blessing to my boss? How can I be a blessing to my employees? How can I be a blessing to my employer? How can I be a blessing to my neighbor? How can I be a blessing to my family? When Peter was writing to servants and telling them to submit to their earthly masters, I want you to listen carefully. Listen very carefully. These were household servants. There are some estimates that there are upward of 60 million of them, these household servants, in the Roman Empire. And those so-called household servants, they range from manual labor all the way to professionals, teachers, engineers, accountants, and even physicians. And while they were living comfortably, they were not free to just pick up and go. They were often paid for their services, and on rare occasions, they can buy their freedom. But many of them become so close to their masters, become so close to the family, that they refused their freedom when it was offered to them, and they've decided to stay on because they're almost treated like members of the family. So you get that in the back of your head as a background. Here's something that we need to understand about the New Testament writers, and I know I've been asked that question many times. Why didn't Paul and Peter and the New Testament writers urge the Christian slaves to revolt against their masters? Listen carefully. I'm going to answer it once and for all, because a lot of people ask me that. Because they knew that Spartacus would have bathed Rome with their blood. Did you get that? While the New Testament teaches that with God's power, we can make the best of the worst circumstances, and yet the Bible served as a springboard to outlawing slavery later on. When William Wilberforce and Bible-believing Christians in Parliament and elsewhere with him changed the laws and outlawed slavery, they appealed to people who at least had some biblical knowledge— but they couldn't do so in first century Rome. Wilberforce himself was short. He was unimpressive. He had a weak voice, and, and many people kind of really did not think much of him. But listen to what the biographers have said about this man when he stood there based on the Scripture and spoke truth, and God used him single-handedly. One of the biographers, Boswell, said the following. He said, I saw what seemed to be a shrimp became a whale. That's what the power of God can do. While slavery is abolished. But I want to submit to you this morning, my beloved friends, I love you dearly. There are so many believers who are living in the slavery of fear. There are so many living in the slavery of worry and anxiety. 
There are some who are living dependent on chemical substance, and they're addicted with chains that they seem not able to break. There are some who are addicted to spending money that they don't have. And only Jesus can set you free. Here's the rule of thumb. A person who's enslaved to anything, anything, a person who's enslaved to anything cannot be a blessing. Cannot be a blessing. Yet the life of a transformed identity is a life that is set free, that it may be a blessing to many, be a blessing to everyone they come across, be a blessing to their community, a blessing to their nation, a blessing to the world. Here's a biblical principle. If you believe that you are working in your day job for the Lord, not for your boss or your company, if you believe that the Lord is the one who will reward you, and He's the only one who can reward you, not your boss and not your company, if you believe that you are serving God on your job, then you can be absolutely sure that He will treat you justly, that He will treat you fairly, that He will reward your faithfulness, that He will bless you and make you a blessing. That, my beloved friends, will make you live up to the responsibility of a transformed identity. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.